Inspiring solutions to save America one show at a time. Are you ready to get on board? Folks, it's so frustrating. I have warned so many people so many times that we were headed right where we are. The left-wing lunatics are trying very hard to bring back COVID lockdowns and mandates with all of their sudden fear-mongering about the new variants that are coming. Gee whiz, you know what else is coming? An election. They want to restart the COVID hysteria so they can justify more lockdowns, more censorship, more illegal drop boxes, more mail-in ballots, and trillions of dollars in payoffs to their political allies heading into the 2024 election. Does that sound familiar? But to every COVID tyrant who wants to take away our freedom, hear these words, we will not comply. Well, here we are, folks. That is exactly, in a nutshell, what all of this is about. And the icing on the cake for these people would be convicting him and then indicting him and sending him to jail then. And it's all been it's it's all been so so predictable. Three hours of bold truth and excellence. You've just signed up for the WBR Army. Welcome aboard. This is the Wendy Bell Radio Program. You know, whatever you say about Vivek Ramaswamy, some people say, oh, he's part of the Uniparty. Oh, he's part of this. Oh, he's part of the Rhino Swamp. You know what I see and I hear? I can only judge the guy based on what I can hear him say. How consistently he says what he says. And what he says lines up to what I think. Now, do I agree with every single thing he says? Probably not. Do I agree with an awful lot of it? Yeah, up till now, I sure do. And they are scared to death of this guy. So CNN has a town hall with him the other night. And they have their uh, news babe, Abby Phillip. And she's going to be asking questions. There are some people in the audience. Obviously, Vivek Ramaswamy is speaking directly to the people who would normally watch CNN, who are not Republican conservative voters. By and large, simply not. And she's going to ask him a series of questions based on something that he has said. And he has said repeatedly lately. More we see of the video of January 6th, the more information that comes out, not the scripted narrative of the committee. Not the video that, of course, Nancy Pelosi wanted to hide for 50 years, but actually seeing the first 100 hours of the 41,000. Right. He's convinced The story is not what they say it is. He believes that government operatives were there, played a role, and that honest Americans were set up, were entrapped. And so she's going to ask him this question about why do you say that? So when he starts to drop his evidence, this is his opinion. If you're going to ask me my opinion about something and I begin to share my opinion and then you jump in, interrupt me, talk over me and tell me how wrong I am without being respectful and hearing me out, you're afraid. You're afraid because you know what you are doing is wrong. And before we even get to the sound of her falling over herself to stop him and he is He is not to be interrupted. 
He just goes. You're going to hear the audience applaud him. You're going to hear the audience who we can presume is by and large made up of Democrats agree with Vivek Ramaswamy. Not just that January 6th is wicked suspicious, that it was a setup, that it was a an entrapment scenario, and that Abby Phillip trying to shut him down shows exactly the fear of the left. Now, the takeaway on CNN.com. Takeaways from CNN's town hall with Vivek Ramaswamy. I'm going to give you their three bullet points, and I want you to consider that as you hear the give and go between these two. And tell me if that's exactly what you hear. Number one, Ramaswamy embraces conspiracy theories. That's journalistic bullcrap, and it makes me angry. How dare you? Number two, Ramaswamy takes on the administrative state. Well, we'll see. And number three, Ramaswamy defends his, at times, combative approach. I don't think explaining yourself and being interrupted and speaking through the interruption makes you combative. Here's audio soundbite number one. He's going to explain why he now believes January 6th is a far cry from what the left wants you to see. Go. If you had told me that January 6th was in any way an inside job, the subject of government entrapment, I would have told you that was crazy talk. Fringe conspiracy theory nonsense. I can tell you now, having gone somewhat deep in this, it's not. I mean, the reality is this. We do have a government, first of all, we have to acknowledge that has lied to us systematically over the last several years about the origin of COVID-19, about the Hunter Biden laptop that we were told was false by 51 CIA experts and otherwise before we now know that it was true. You can go straight down the list, the Trump-Russia disinformation collusion hoax, all of it. Now we come to January 6th. The reality is we know that there were federal law enforcement agents in that field. We don't know how many. Factual. This is where she begins to lose her mind. Interruption number one. Go. I think it's Mr. shameful. If, if I may finish this answer. Well, let me this just, is, this is I, really I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and interrupt you here because, because I know this, that the establishment were, doesn't approve of this message. I know that this, there were federal we should agents. Be able to talk about this. You're saying that there were federal this is, agents. This is important to talk about. This, you this are saying there were federal agents in the pad on on January 6th. Yep. There is no evidence that there were federal agents in the crowd on January so, 6th. So why before Congress, when pressed on what the number was, they didn't say there were none. They just couldn't so say how many there were. So you're saying that there's no, that you have not seen evi- any evidence. So we've seen multiple, were, and so we've seen multiple informants were. suggesting that there were. We know people were, we know people were FBI informants who were asked. Is there any evidence? Well, let me clarify. I know it's very uncomfortable for you. I'm going to clarify my question. I know question this is an uncomfortable issue for many people, but you, we have to do the truth. Here. I'm going to clarify my question because I want to make sure that you understand oh, what I'm asking. Oh, I understand this. And I told you, I was where with you three years the, ago. I'm where not there is now. the evidence? Yes. Shut where up. Is the evidence that the government had a plot, so let's do this. an inside I, job. But no, 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 I'm going to tell you what inside job is because I'm not going to. I'm not violence on January 6th. Where I'm not going to let you put words in my that? mouth. I'm going to put my words in my mouth. I'm not going to put your words in my mouth. I'm going to put my words in my mouth. She can't fall over herself enough. No evidence. No. Well, I'm telling you, no evidence. I'm still telling you. It continues. Interruption number two, go. And I'm going to tell you what, what I mean by that. Where is the evidence that the government was involved Entrapment. in planning or executing okay. January 6th? Where so I'm going, to, I'm, going to give you, I'm going to give you hard facts. And, and if I may, Abby, I know this is going to be a little uncomfortable, but we're going to, we're, we're going to go through this and you can, and you can, you can push Just back on it after the evidence. That. And you can push back on that. And let's do this fairly. 
Why did they suppress footage of now what's been released, 200 hours of footage of shooting rubber bullets into that crowd, shooting tear gas into that crowd? You didn't see that before. You saw what the response was to that. Uh, now you see footage coming out of actually rolling out the red carpet for Capitol Mr. Police allowing Mr. people in. Again. Right through the front the vast door. Applause! You cannot talk over me and try to make your point of suck because you are lying and everybody knows it. It is a CNN audience <laughs> applauding him. And he's respectful and he's purposeful and he's directed. And according to CNN, after the fact, he's spreading conspiracy theories. How dare you? How dare you? And then there's this. The By the way, the, the Chiron underneath him during that exchange, it says Ramaswamy claims January 6th was an inside job. That's not what he said. Liars. CNN, you lying hacks. And finally, audio soundbite number four. He's going to give you a perfect example of entrapment. The Whitmer kidnapping garbage. Go. And let me, let me just finish one thing, too, because this is super important as a topic. So when you, I when think this is a civil libertarian issue of our time. When we Gretchen talking, Whitmer's kidnapping. I want to keep it. I want to be really clear on this because it's the same issue in the same FBI, same even part of the FBI. Three people who were in an alleged plot to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer were acquitted at the end of trial because it was entrapment. That is, government agents put them up to do something they otherwise wouldn't have done. They gave them credit cards with spending limits of up to $5,000, encouraged them to buy munitions, plan something they weren't otherwise willing to plan. So much so, and I want people at home to know this, especially CNN viewers to know this, is that one of the jurors went to those defendants and apologized afterwards, gave him a hug, apologized, seeing what the government had put a poor guy up to who had to go to some Mexican restaurant across the street to get hot water. These people were exploited with credit cards up to $5,000, FBI agents putting them up to a kidnapping plot that we were told was true but was entrapment. 14, Same thing with the Capitol Police, people Mr. letting Ramaswamy, them in freely. Many of those people Mr. then Mr. being Ramaswamy, charged. Ramaswamy, look, the government cannot I, put you up I to do something and then Mr. charge Ramaswamy, you for it. Look, That's wrong. I don't want to have I don't want to have to interrupt you. I really don't. Then don't. But I don't want you to mislead the audience here or I'm at not. home. Abby, 14, I think they've been misled 14, by mainstream media. Oh, oh. They've been misled by mainstream media. Look, everything in like five minutes there. It shows you the narrative. It shows you the desperation. And it shows you the fear when somebody with facts stands up and says, no, you cannot speak over me. No, you can't put words in my mouth. And no, that is not what happened. Now, CNN does have somebody who actually had some random acts of journalism yesterday. So to be fair, we're going to walk you through that. And this is almost as interesting. Next on the Wendy Bell Radio Program. 
So CNN has a guy, I'm going to admit, I think he's a cutie. His name is Phil Mattingly. You don't think he's cute? I think he's cute. I don't think you need to think he's cute for me to think he's cute. I do. He's talking with Biden spokesman Ian Sams. Ian Sams is a step up from some people, but he is a he's kind of a pencil neck geek who um, who clearly is better at memorizing the talking points. OK, so th- they're talking about this whole give and go about my father wasn't financially involved. Hunter said this yesterday. My father wasn't financially involved. Well, that's kind of a backpedal, a major, major backpedal from what started. The nexus of this conversation was when Joe Biden was on the campaign trail and Peter Ducey said a question about Hunter Biden's business and were you involved in it? I've never spoken to my son about his business. I've never. And that's something that he doubled down, tripled down multiple times on the campaign trail about. Said it on the debate live with Donald Trump. Donald Trump sat there and was like, really? So Phil Mattingly from CNN is going to ask this guy, Ian Sams, Biden's spokesperson, what about this? You know, wasn't financially involved. Is this a clarification or are you guys trying to redo here? Listen. That Hunter Biden made... uh Yesterday, he said, let me say it as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business. He was unequivocal about that. But that is an evolution of where the president had been during the campaign, where the White House had been at the start of the administration. Not involved financially in the business is very different than never talked about the business, not been involved in the business at all. Was that an intentional point of clarity, do you think? I actually dispute the whole premise of that question. Why? It's one of Jim Jordan's favorite little shiny objects is to try to take a semantic thing and make an argument that is, that is somehow far afield from what they're actually focused on. We've been extremely clear over and over again for years, and nothing has changed. The president was not in business with his son, period. Ah, uh, what happened to never talk to his son? Wasn't financially involved? Wasn't in business with? Phil Mattingly's absolutely correct. This is the always evolving move the goalpost story. The more information comes out, you guys run interference, create some other suckworthy comment and put that out there as your new claim. All the while pointing fingers at Jim Jordan, which, by the way, the young and cute Phil Mattingly will bring up and say, you know what? I'm not talking about Jim Jordan. I'm a journalist. I've listened to this in the press room at the White House. You guys have said this. Never spoke about That's not what you're saying now. Audio soundbite two. They're trying to make up all sorts of allegations and make up lies. With respect, I'm not citing Jim Jordan here. I was in some of the White House press briefings where it was said explicitly the president did not talk to his son about business dealing. That that is very clearly not the case. And I think the statement from the White House has changed uh, and I think been a little bit more precise over the course of the last several months. It's what the president said on the campaign trail as well. I'm not saying this is like an impeachable offense or... Uh, some grand uh, indictment, but it is a fact that the president said one thing that ended up being not true. Again, I dispute that that's, that that's true. I, that is not true. The truth is that he wasn't in business with his son. The Republicans have been for years trying to make arguments. Again, I'm not saying that he was in, in business with his son. And over and over again, those have been refuted. How is this any different? How is Ian Sams lying about this any different Then the CNN news babe, Abby Phillip, interrupting Vivek Ramaswamy to continue the narrative that there is no evidence. There is no evidence. 
You guys, nobody believes you. Ian, you can try all you want. You, you might be pretty buttoned up and polished. And you've gotten the marching orders that Joe Biden wasn't in business with his son, but that's not what's being asked of you. And finally, audio soundbite number three. Ian Sams wants everybody to know that the, the GOP is just making crap up, making up allegations to smear Joe Biden. Listen. So they're just making up lies <laughs> to attack the president in a relentless smear campaign that frankly has been going on for four straight years now. We went through an impeachment in the last administration over these same made-up allegations. Ooh! Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Brock, can you play it again? This is what he said. We went through an impeachment in the last administration over the same made-up stuff. So they're just making up lies to attack the president in a relentless smear campaign that frankly has been going on for four straight years now. We went through an impeachment in the last administration over these same made-up allegations. <laughs> I'm done! I'm done with you people! I'm done! Look, I'm the first to tell you, the Republican Party is a flawed party. But there is a group of people in that party who are MAGA who want to get back to the basics of telling the truth and doing what is right for the good of everybody. And it involves America first. Right? This on the left is indefensible. Indefensible and inexcusable. Shame on you, you little twerp. And good job, Phil Mattingly. Do not go anywhere. We have a fantastic guest. We are live with nationally syndicated editorial cartoonist Gary Varvel right after this. Ah, so pumped. I don't want to waste a moment. Gary Varvel is a national award-winning internationally syndicated editorial cartoonist. Through the Creators Syndicate in Los Angeles, he currently writes a substack called Varvel's Views from the Right. Gotta love that. He's just badass. He's a phenomenal talent. And I know you've seen his stuff all over the place. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Wendy. It's an honor to be on your show. Well, I love that it took you a few months to stumble upon my message to you, sir. <laughs> but I love that you checked out our show to make sure that we were worthy of your attention. Ah, no, you are a pro. Oh. Wow, I, I'm, I've been very impressed. Well, you're kind, sir. I want to talk to you. So you have a, a very conservative viewpoint in your cartoons, which are fantastic. Do you do you ever yeah. find yourself in these really weird times? Like I've been sent, I've been I've been silenced and canceled three times. I've lost three jobs being conservative, being Catholic, being a mom of, of five boys. I've experienced that. Do you find yourself ever self-censoring? Uh, not so much since I left the newspaper business, you know, so I was in the newspaper business for 40 years and, uh, you know, had editors and I, you know, I pleased, I tried to please my bosses and, and, but, and I got canceled several times. It just, especially in the last, uh, five, six years that I was in the newspaper business. But, uh, since I've been on my own, you know, I'm still, I draw for my syndicate I just draw it, send it out there. If newspapers want to run it, fine. If they don't, that's fine, too. I, I don't hear any 
I haven't been canceled <laughs> since I have been on my own. It is amazing what independence from the the machine does to you. It's it's so liberating. It's, it's it's what we did. We started a radio network and just started doing our own thing. And you can take it or not take yep. it, hear it or not hear it, and that's fine. Tell me about one of the instances in which before you left uh, and started your own thing, where you felt that pressure, and I'm sure it was precipitous to to getting out of that relationship. Okay, well, you know, I don't I don't want to get into real specifics, but I'll tell you this. Uh, there were several times I saw a change in the newspaper business over the years. When I was younger, and I did a cartoon, the editor approved it. If there got if we got any kind of uh, flack for the cartoon, the editor owned it, and and he would defend it, and he would just tell people write a letter to the editor if you don't like it. And and uh, so my politics have always been conservative. And the newspaper I worked for at one time was very conservative. And over time, well, we were, we got bought by Gannett, and then we started kind of drifting to the left, and and it was just a process over time. But what ha- what I noticed happening, and it happened to Michael Ramirez, the cartoonist for the uh, Las Vegas Review Journal. Yes. He did a cartoon that ran in the Washington Post, and the Post got some complaints from the newsroom, and so the editor pulled the cartoon. And I saw that happening more and more. The newsroom has always been liberal. Mm-hmm. It's just that now the, the wokeness, it seems like they have more influence over the bosses. And the other problem is that newspaper business is struggling financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be, just be a cash cow. And now people, advertisers, have more places to put their money, and they're choosing to go some other some other place. And so newspapers have had to really... Um, streamline their their operations, and it's it and the product is hurt because of it. But as, as a result, I think a lot of these young journalists coming out of J school have felt empowered to push whatever agenda they have. That used to didn't that didn't happen in the past. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with you. I was a product of journalism school, undergrad and graduate, and I could see it back then. Uh, if you didn't share the prevailing view. Uh, and that was a scary thing 34 years ago, right? I mean, if you yeah, if right. you look at what your inspiration is, like, do you wake up and do you, do you flip through social media? Do you watch the news? Do you read a paper? What do you do to get inspired for what you're going to put out every day? All of the above. Yeah, so I'm, I'm scouring everything. I want to see what everybody else is talking about. What's the big news of the day? And then, uh, of course, then it kind of goes through my filter of, um, you know, and I know I heard you talking earlier about you don't want to hear from these Christians, but I I am a Christian, and everything kind of goes through my biblical worldview. And uh, sometimes I get it right, sometimes I don't, but I, I, this is, Wendy, this is a comment I get all the time. You call yourself a Christian, you did this cartoon, da-da-da-da-da. And uh, look, I, I can give you examples in in the Bible where uh, Christian people used mockery against the unchristian people, <laughs> and uh, John the Baptist did it. Jesus mocked the Pharisees of his day. So I think I'm in good company there. Now, I, yes, John go. the Baptist lost his head, and Jesus was crucified. But <laughs> so he, it comes. It's a dangerous territory, <laughs> you know. And it's fun though because cartoon, you know, your artwork is not dissimilar to that of a comedian. 
it should be one of the places where humor and reality can coexist in an edgy way. And everybody can interpret it their own way without getting butthurt about it. But unfortunately, everybody feels like their opinion matters, right? That's right. That's right. You know, the, the difference between editorial cartoons, I, as some people will, will complain to me that my cartoons are not funny. <laughs> editorial cartoons, the goal, the goal of the editorial cartoon is not humor. The goal is the idea, the, the, the opinion that I'm trying to push. Humor is only a tool that we use to get the point across. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's not the right tool. So like 9-11, there was nothing funny about that. And I did a cartoon of Uncle Sam uh, carrying a firefighter away from the rubble in, in New York. Uh, and there's nothing funny about that, but it, it, it captured the mood of the moment. And we made that cartoon, the newspaper made that cartoon into a poster, and we sold it to raise money for the relief effort in New York. We raised $130,000 on one mackerel. cartoon. That is outstanding. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, it, the cartoon doesn't have to be funny. I try to use humor as much as possible, and there's a lot of ridiculously funny things going on in Washington. The cartoonists like myself say that our writers are in Washington. They do the most absurd things. Yes, it's absolutely right. Tell me something that uh, tell me something that you're thinking about or, or something that's edgy that you've that you've sat there after you finished it and you've thought to yourself, should I? And you did or you didn't. Is there ever that moment where you're like on the fence or do you just blaze through? Uh, you know, I, I do sit on the fence every once in a while and try to figure out, you know, is this worth the flack I'm going to get? You know, that just happens. I think probably most people would probably do that. I think it's a wise thing to do is to really consider is, is, um, the idea that I have here, am I able to communicate it so people understand what I'm thinking? And then the other thing is the backlash is going to be worth it. You know, like I did a cartoon recently, all of the stuff on college campus campuses the anti-semitism is unreal and uh i i personally think it's a spiritual problem you know when russia invaded ukraine i didn't see any any people you know protesting russia but israel and i knew this was going to happen when they retaliate for being attacked then the anti-semitism comes out i just didn't think it would be this big but i did a cartoon of a parent sitting at the table with their college you know with their student home from college and they and the kid looked like Hitler. He had the Hitler mustache and the, and the comb over. And uh, they said, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the caption. Uh, we're concerned about the impact college is having on you. And that cartoon, that got, that kind of went viral. We got people riled up a little bit, not mad at me, but saying, yeah, look, at this is right. He pictured what's going on. Uh, the, the concern is, are we... Are you, you know, when you send your kid to college, are are you turning them into Nazis? Don't get me started on that, because we could go down a whole rabbit hole (laughs) on that, 100%. Um, Do you have a favorite? Have you made one particular cartoon that that really speaks to you? Well, I usually get asked that, and I usually answer with the 9-11 cartoon because it impacted so many people. And, uh, you know... Sometime after that cartoon ran, uh, there was a photograph from Afghanistan. Robin Williams was in Afghanistan. He was holding a T-shirt. He was over there entertaining the troops, and he's on the T-shirt. And my cartoon, my 9-11 cartoon, was on the T-shirt. Oh. I didn't give approval for it to be reprinted. Somebody did that. And they also, if you look at it real closely, the picture, the picture was an Associated Press photo. 
uh, they had taken my name off of my cartoon, and that happens more often than you know I, that I even know really. Uh, the people they think that the internet is the wild west, and they just do whatever they right. want to with stuff. And look, I if you're promoting me, that's fine. If you're trying to sell my stuff mm-hmm. and make money for yourself, that's a problem. Right. I don't disagree because with you. It is copyrighted. Right. Yeah. Right. So tell me. So, d- d- uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I heard you talking before I came on that, uh, you know, do you, can you get prints of my stuff? Yes, you can. You can go to GaryVarvel.com or you can email me at Gary at GaryVarvel.com and just tell me what you want and we can work out a deal. I, I absolutely love this because I have a producer who is very excited and uh, I think I would too to have one of your pieces. Tell me, what do you see? And you both you both would be great caricatures, by the way. Really? So what would you, okay, tell me this. How do you look Wendy at... Wendy would be tooth. What? I asked him, I asked my producer, Brock, I said, usually there's an exaggeration. Obviously, that's what makes it fun. What would you exaggerate? Uh, your eyes and your mouth. Okay. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, your producer would probably be uh, the beard and the hair. Yes. Yes, we called it. I love this. This is fantastic. I want you to look in your mind's eye at your easel, your iPad, whatever you use, and, and tell, me, tell, me, uh, tell me what you see happening in the next year in America. What is your wish, at least, that you could be able to draw in the year ahead? Well, I would wish for the Great Awakening. <laughs> We have uh, gotten so far away from what the founders ever intended for this country. In fact, uh, the founders were very strong about, uh, like, for instance, John Adams. John Adams said that uh, our government was made for religious and and moral people. It's wholly inadequate for the government of any other. Our our Constitution, that was. And the point was, if the people are immoral, if they're godless— then you're going to have anarchy, and you can't, you can't hire enough police to control it. People have to be able to control themselves, and we have strayed so far away. And Abraham Lincoln said the same thing. In 1863, he wrote a proclamation for a day of humiliation, prayer, and fasting, and he believed that the Civil War was judgment from God on our country because we have, and his word said, we have forgotten God. Mm. So my hope for America is that we could go back to the roots that we once had. Am I confident that can happen? God can do anything, but I'm not real confident about it. I will say this, Wendy. Our, the, the solutions to our problems are not political. Mm-hmm. I, I, we have to have good people in politics. That's true. But having the right president, having the right senator, congressman, is not going to solve the huge mess we've gotten ourselves into. $33 trillion in debt, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And also, going out, the obligations we have is, is total. I was talking to an economist this past weekend. $200 trillion. That's insane. That's it. not, I mean, we're, we're going to turn into Venezuela. Mm-hmm. I agree. That I, is my concern. Yes. And, and as, a, as a grandfather of nine, this is a concern for what I'm leaving our, our grandchildren. 100%. That is what fuels me every day. Gary Varvel, I think yep. you are amazing. GaryVarvel.com, V-A-R-V-E-L.com. Gary, the typical way. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for responding to me, giving us a try. And yeah. we just think you're wonderful. I'm going to draw you, Wendy. 
Hot dog. That's what I was gracing you up for. Victory. (laughs) Don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up next, we got more to talk about before we talk to John Guandolo, our national security expert. You know, we've been following this this story about higher education, about anti-Semitism, about the reality of this ugly pervasiveness. You know, it it is far worse than I think many of us could have imagined. And, and when you're not one of those people, you know, I don't look at people who are black or Asian or gay or Jewish and and wish anything about them. I'm sadly, woefully apathetic. <laughs> I'm busy. Um, and so it's hard to look through that prism at, at other people when that's not how you would look at them. And this is what's going on on our campuses. And it's not just Harvard and Penn and MIT and these other schools. It's a problem everywhere. Well, we're, we're paying attention to what Congress is doing here. We're paying attention to what Harvard is doing. And yesterday we had the conversation that for someone whose identity is these politics, is this social engineered identity and it causes the the ascension of someone like a Claudine Gay, the president of of Harvard, who is either woefully inadequate or is just really exactly what the left wants. Someone who will let people on her campus be blatantly anti-Semitic. Whatever the reason is for her existence and her survival, I think it's curious that Congress is still watching this. Defund the rot. That is something that came out as a headline today. And this is intriguing. This is on the New York Post. As the congressional investigation into anti-Semitism on college campuses ramps up, sources say it is expected to end in proposals to limit or to defund universities and their endowments. This is 100% correct. I, I personally struggle with Allegations, and they're demonstrable, of of disgusting experiments being used on aborted fetuses at the university in my own backyard here at the University of Pittsburgh. Why is it that hundreds of millions of tax dollars every single year are approved by our, our General Assembly here of SOC to fund these programs, to fund these universities that I don't agree with? But if I wanted to start a pro-life club on campus, they'd give me the stink eye and I'd have to jump through all these hoops to do it. Well, don't tell me that you're about freedom if this is what you're into. And I don't I don't want to fund your research. I don't want to be a part of the disgusting things that you're doing. Why are our why are our tax dollars going to these places? Congress is going to be paying attention to this. And I think that is a worthy thing to keep our eyes on. Given the broad support from the right that these measures are receiving, meaning stop giving them our money. Some folks in D.C. are confident that all of the chatter will at least result in some moderate change. Jim Banks, the Republican out of Indiana says this, cash is what these elite universities care about, all universities do, including the billions that they get from taxpayers. And unless they start fighting anti-Semitism and treating all of their students equally, we are going to defund them either by ending their student loan guarantees 
or by cutting off their grants. This leads us to a whole different conversation. Why the hell am I paying tuition if you're getting billions of dollars in federal subsidies? Where is that money going? Like, honestly, until students stop going, until parents say to their kids, sorry, dude, you're not going there. I'm not giving $80,000 to this school that has a $30 billion endowment. If Notre Dame and, and, and these schools, even Vanderbilt, UNC, Harvard, Columbia, Penn, MIT, if they never accepted a dollar of tuition from their students, they could continue their machinations of what they do. And it leads me to wonder, is everything just one giant money laundering operation? Are you and I the stupid ones who actually got into jobs of, of either your own, your own vision, your own entrepreneurial vision of doing something and you work and you sweat and you do what we do on this show every day. You do what Gary Varvel does every single day because you're not part of this money-making madness. The war machine. How many people get rich off of that? Medicine and quote-unquote science. Media. All of it. I hope Congress does what they need to do here. Do pay attention. Elise Stefanik, New York Republican, who's questioning, as you well know, started this whole thing, has pushed to defund these these educational platforms, these institutions. We must defund the rot in America's higher education. I don't disagree. We also must not vote to give the Section 702 powers an extension so these idiots can continue to surveil us ad nauseum and at their very whim. But there, alas, is where we are. You know, I've wondered. We've heard a lot of talk about sleeper cells, about possible terror activity on our soil, certainly thankful to Joe Biden and his open borders. But what was a what would a former FBI agent and Marine tell us about how to be vigilant, what to look for? John Guandolo, national security expert on tap. And I think it's a conversation you're going to really be interested in being a part of. It's next on the Wendy Bell Radio Network. <laughs> 